I said in the asterisk years that everybody has a time as a football fan when they say that was my time and that was my team. And mine was the centenary team in the centenary year. And I'll go through this as the pod goes on. But first of all, it started when my old man came back one day and said, when about the end of May 87, that Billy McNeil was coming back to Celtic Park. And the enormity of that was just biblical for Celtic supporters because we'd been kind of floundering in the four years that he'd been away. Um, of course, we'd won the league at Love Street in 86, and everybody knows how I feel about that. But there was a new challenge on the horizon, and that new challenge was Rangers. Now, I was born in 1974. Rangers won the treble in 1978 and then did really nothing. Um matter of fact, it used to just baffle me when we lost a game to them because they were so bad. And they were never really on the horizon in my lifetime. Um, of course, Aberdeen and Dun United had emerged. You know, we can all talk about Aberdeen and the success, but, you know, previous to this, Dun United had the Indian sign over us. I mean, they really... Um, we just couldn't beat them at times, um, obviously. That's why the... 85 Scottish Cup final was so platformed by Celtic supporters of that era because, you know, it was a it was a big thing for us to to come back and and beat them. Um, so <clears throat> we had never really in the previous eight nine years experienced a challenge of any sorts for Rangers. But then of course, Graham Souness came in. Started spending money and buying players, particularly English ones, and they'd won the league. Um, and it's interesting that um, Mark Henderson, in one of my books, a friend of mine, said he was so scared the Hearts winning the league as an Edinburgh Celtic supporter that he didn't go to Love Street to his eternal um, regret. When Rangers were going to win the league, um, at Pataudry in 87 I did not go to the Celtic game that day against Falkirk at home I just didn't I couldn't even entertain football in my head as a young 12, 13 year old and so um, <coughs> it was massive for me to hear that Billy McNeil was coming back to save us Centenary season. Those words immediately bring a warm glow, memories of such nostalgia. Uh, a season like no other in my lifetime, really. This, again, like it was first time I was really allowed home and away to every match. As a fifteen-year-old, like my mum and dad did in the bat and eyelid. So it was a, a great time. Um, the season previously had um, finished. We could kind of knew Rangers were going to win the league, but it finished kind of unremarkably. It was kind of I remember getting beat for Falkirk at home and just the flatness. And uh, that close season, I mean, the old joke was we lost Boris Johnston, 
Brian McClare and Murder McLeod but it wasn't all bad news because McAnally left as well um, so I've lost a fair few players but the signings started to come for Big Billy and uh, like when Andy Walker signed and Billy Stark and like just you know there was this kind of resurgence you felt things could maybe just although I'm always optimistic when it comes to every like pre-season like even back then when we were in the 90s you were always optimistic for some reason even though just for absolutely no reason uh, but when the season like, remember the uh, pre-season match at Celtic Park Celtic Arsenal and I was at that and we lost 5-1 that day and I remember Charlie Nicholas being back and my memory is like Arch Deacon scored a screamer I think we were 5-0 down but um, even then there wasn't there wasn't like Pessimistic of that. I knew it's a pre-season game, isn't it? Too bothered. And actually, like my hometown here, United played them at Somerset Park, and I think it was the Tuesday or Wednesday night after that, and they lost six nothing. And it's kind of remarkable. I think Arsenal first team were playing at Somerset Park. But anyway, I went to the uh, centenary season. I was at Capo the first game, and just like see everybody had the centenary jersey on it seemed that day and uh, just in the team going to the park with the jersey on and the strip you just felt it was just uh, it was just like as I say this warm glow you just felt things were things were changing again and uh, we ran a mock that day went on to the midweek match played hearts at Celtic Park and kind of infamous game I remember like we used to stand in the jungle but as the game the last 10 minutes we'd always walk around because we were bus parked in United Street just off London Road so we'd walk around the Celtic end the last 10 minutes just to get a kind of quick exit like when the final whistle actually came so at the time the actual goal came we were right round at the corner flag between the main stand and the Celtic end um, when Celtic scored Mark McGee uh, brilliant uh, and it was like the Prelude of things to come that season because there were so many last minute goals and I remember getting on the bus and we realised Rangers had got beat at Hibs at Easter Road and, uh, and the follow up for that game was I think it was a Kevin O'Donnell the referee at Wallace Mercer had a right go at and he got demoted uh, so forgiving Celtic I don't know what actually happened in the run up to the late winner but it just shows you 35 years down the line and nothing's really changed but I think I think we went to East End Park the Saturday after that uh, and lost 2-1 uh, we had a massive crowd at East End Park that day because I'd never been to East End Park up to then and um, it was like a sleeping giant almost and I'm like my god that's a massive club really and you know they've kind of been in the doldrums like uh, for so long um, so we lost that but again there wasn't really much doom and gloom and I think we beat Motherwell again at Celtic Park and then obviously the first Rangers game came around and uh, Billy Starr scored the, the daisy cutter early on in the match and then like soon as like, was that a two-footed tackle and Billy Starr red-carded and all the soon as off at Paradise t-shirts came out after that uh, Evening Times headline uh, so I know the centenary year like God I'd be here all night if I went game per game but I can always remember I can honestly almost remember game per game that season um, but uh, the school cup I remember the school cup which wasn't exactly a great big that in these days and even the I brought a song out that season uh, to the tune of Dan, Dan, Dance Dance wherever you may be 
Så jeg præcis med ånden med obviously then Macabene arrived um, and then it was the infamous uh, match at Ibrox where the, like, the, the, the sendings off which were obviously ended up in court which was bizarre really um, so we were kind of definitely we were in control that season even after that match but I can't remember we were a couple of points ahead at least but Hearts were beginning to kind of pose a wee bit of a threat as well um, and then Celtic we signed Joe Miller uh, gave us an extra boost as well and like his first few games he was exceptional and I remember relaying to Paul the story when we played Motherwell at Fur Park on a Wednesday night no long after, long after he signed it wasn't even all ticket and uh, like just the, like we get in just after the bypass like off the motorway coming into Motherwell and it was absolutely gridlocked and this was like maybe 10, 10 past 7 in fact I think it was probably even a half past 7 back in those days a uh, half past 7 kickoff back in those days and the like the time we get near the ground the queues were phenomenal and I'm like we're never going to get into this game and it was ready like kick-off time in the queues and I'm not sure possibly they held the kick-off up that night but when we got to the front of the turnstile eventually um, the price like some like mastermind had decided the price of the, uh, to get into the, the admission of the game was £2.70 so it's obviously a wee guy and all these turnstiles like handing out all the 30 pence changes or whatever like it's nuts um, that's probably what the hold up was but I um, again the season went on and we're, like, we're doing well uh, the Hearts game was another one that springs to mind uh, the one at Celtic Park I see Hearts were kind of resurgent and they were beginning to pose a threat and they, they went 2-0 up I remember we played them at Tynecastle um, like, I think that was early November um, and John Cahoon scored an absolute screamer for Hearts and Mark McGee another late equaliser uh, to just kind of hold them at bay um, so we went into this game like Celtic Park against Hearts we went 2-0 down and then again um, we come back for a two weeks draw to hold them at bay again we just kind of this was just kind of like uh, fought on our challenge a wee bit um, so yeah uh, the run up then was like obviously we're right like, towards the end of 87 so we're almost in the centenary year and uh, we had a, kind of, a couple of draws um, which were kind of unremarkable again It has to be said it wasn't a great pre-season Mick McCarthy had been signed actually by Davey Hay um, and then Davey was subsequently Remove his job, um, and then you know the signings started coming in, uh, and I remember they were all kind of paraded on the same day. We met McCarthy. There was obviously Andy Walker, Billy Stark, um, Chris Morris, and a kindy like. First of all, who's Chris Morris? He was described as a utility player um, for Sheffield Wednesday, which normally means you're shit in every position. Uh, Andy Walker had hit the headlines and the highlights with Motherwell, but he was still a a, a boy. He was nineteen, um, and Billy Stark was a was obviously a a veteran player for Aberdeen, even though you know he was only thirty <laughs> um, back then. Um, whereas obviously over the other side of the city, there was money being spent, and the, even the pre season was. 
pretty dreadful. Um, we lost to, to Cork away, and then we lost to Arsenal five uh, one at home. Uh, we our goal coming in the last minute, and um, but there was something still. I mean, uh, Jamie O'Neill mentioned this. There was something sort of um, lingering about the club at the time. There was a freshness and there was a vitality. You know, the new strip right away, um, you know, with a new badge. Like, wow, you know, Centenary badge on it. It just kind of felt modern, you know. I remember actually the, the first time I saw the strip in the flesh, actually, with somebody wearing it, it was a guy. The bus convener of the bus I was on, a guy called Michael Shields came on and uh, it was a Hearts game, the second game of the season, midweek game and uh, he basically was wearing it under a denim jacket and I remember him saying it cost 19 quid which I think previous year it was um, 15 quid for a top so it was a big leap Um but everybody went down to Greenock, you know, for an opening day, sunny, and uh, played really well. Um, won 4 0. Uh, could have won a lot more. Great. Then we come to said Hearts game, and uh, it was a, you know, Hearts had a good team at the time. It was a, a tight tussle, to say the least. Um, but we scored with three minutes to go. Mark McGee, as was he want against Hearts. Shrugged off Dave McPherson and and blasted at home. And this created an issue because Wallace Mercer, who was the Hertz owner at the time, um, raised a stouche, as they say in Scotland, and complained that the linesman should have um, chopped the goal off. That's Now, this was kind of ridiculous because um, what then happened was that he basically said that Kevin O'Donnell, the referee, um, was actually to blame. And the insinuation was there, right? Kevin O'Donnell, clearly a Catholic, must be a Celtic supporter, cheated us. Absolute nonsense. But let me tell you, after Wallace Mercer's um, bombastic complaining and what I subsequently found out with things I'd done later on in life, Kevin O'Donnell was never the same man again. And that's something that kind of gets brushed under the carpet um, quite a lot. So, you know, shame on Wallace Mercer for that. Motherwell came to Celtic Park, were dispatched 4-1. And then we went to East End Park. Um, now, I'd been to East End Park a couple of times, uh, I'd seen us score seven there in the League Cup, and then I'd seen us win a really towsy game uh, 3-2 when Big John Watson scored twice against us. And um, so I remember going there, sunny day, there was, it felt like there was about 100 people on the bus. And uh, I actually went with the regular contributor to this podcast, Stephen Wright. And uh, he'd actually got the tickets for Mark McGee. Because at the time, his family owned a bar in uh, Sucky Hall Street called Nico's, which was a regular haunt of Celtic players, um, among many other celebrities and so on. And so his dad was friendly with Mark McGee, and he got a couple of tickets. 
So it was like two complimentary tickets for the centre stand at um, East End Park. This was mind-blowing to me. This was the first time I'd ever been involved in any kind of complimentary ticket thing for a football match. So we were still really young, I think, um, about 13, 14 year old. And off we go, you know, let loose by <coughs> family members ourselves. So we're walking along. Now, this shows you the difference in times. At this point, um, sports scene was the main thing uh, on a Saturday for football for fans in Scotland, Saturday night. Hadn't even started that season yet. You know, so we're four, three, four games in and the and the the main football programme on a Saturday night hasn't even started the season. So we're walking along Eastern Park past the, the the main stand. And who do we see is Archie McPherson. And um Stephen just basically said to him, you know, when does sports scene start, Archie? And he says, oh, next Saturday, son. And for us, something about that just thought it made it the most hysterical thing we'd ever heard in our entire life. Like young boys, we just kept repeating it to each other, next Saturday, son, like that all the time. So, of course, we went to the game, and people remember we actually got beat that day. Um, we got well beat, actually. Andy Walker scored a penalty for us, but Don Ferman scored two goals, and that was that. Um, but me and Stephen were still full of the the joys of Archie McPherson talking to us <coughs> so much so that I went back to um, Stephen's granddad's house in uh, Carrick now in Edinburgh who's also called Archie, Archie Wright as you've heard before in this podcast and the reason it's called still are the Tims done us a meal with Nan, his wife, uh, in their house, which was, you know, brilliant. And we were still kind of laughing and joking about this um, Archie McPherson incident until Archie Wright just turned round, looked up for his plate and said to Stephen, Stephen, son, we got beat. Shut up. Hi, Paul. Hi, everybody. Uh, Thayla Moran here from Dublin. Um the centenary season, it's pretty much uh, all I was able to watch was highlight snippets, really. Um, this, these are the days back in in the late 80s where live football, certainly live Scottish football, wasn't uh, shown in, in Ireland. Um, I, I think I said on a previous podcast, we did get the Scottish Cup final of 1977 live one year. Um, for some reason, it wasn't on the same day as the FA Cup final. We, we only always got the FA Cup final here in, in Dublin. Um, on either BBC or UTV as we had here or RTE used to show the, the FA Cup final but we never got Scottish matches so my um, my watching of, of matches during the centenary year would have been as I say confined to small snippets on either match of the day or uh, football focus or on the ball on Saturday afternoon St. Greasy um, I didn't travel over to any games that season Um so, yeah. So I've had to I've had to refresh my memory a little bit on on YouTube um, before before posting this. Uh, I do recall though vividly um, 
the the games against the Huns obviously were, were key. Uh, we're going to be key, but the Huns haven't haven't won the, the title. I think they won the double the season before, eighty six, eighty seven, um, and Sunas had come in. Um, so we were going into the centenary season on quite a low ebb, I suppose you could call it, uh, with the Huns having haven't uh, having regained the title, um, and it, 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 I don't think it can be overestimated just how much pressure the, the Celtic players for that season and whoever was going to be the manager for that season was going to be under. I mean, we all know if you play for Celtic or manage Celtic, the expectations are massive. Um, Jockstein didn't say that lightly, you know, that the, the shirt doesn't shrink to fit inferior players. You, you had to, to be not only a good player to play for Celtic, but you had to be um, you had to be an outstanding individual Um so you had to be a good player technically and a, a strong player mentally to play for Celtic. So I, I can only imagine that that pressure um, increased several folds in the centenary year. Uh, but I think Caesar coming back to manage the team um, was definitely a good start. Um, it signalled an intent to have someone of Caesar's stature uh, come back and manage Celtic to try and not only wrestle the title back off the Huns, but to do it in the centenary year. Um, it was huge. It, it, it was incalculably huge uh, what the what the team had to do, uh, what the manager had to do, you know, that season to, to get the title back. Um, so, like I say, the, the, the coverage I got here, but I do vividly enough recall the, the snippets of the, the four games against the Huns, um, and having refreshed my memory there on on the on, on YouTube, uh, looking back on the games, I I didn't need too much reminder of, of the the main incidents in those games. I remember the first game when uh, Billy Starks scored the winner with that beautiful left footed finish uh, from inside the box when the ball was coming across. And it was a, as Archie McPherson said in commentary that, that that wasn't an easy finish. It was a it was a beautiful strike on the floor, ball coming to him from the left, and to, for Billy to hit it so sweetly on his left foot. Um, and just, you know, a beautiful shot. Keeper hadn't a chance. Great goal from Billy. Very underrated player too, I, I felt, um, from, you know, reading the reports during that season um, and looking at many of the goals that Billy was involved in. Billy Stark was was a, was a key player in, in that season. Very experienced player, as we know, but that was a great goal. Um, and then, of course, in that, in that same game, um, that horrible... Fucker, Sunas uh, gone through Billy when Billy had just one boot on his, uh, he had one boot in his hand and one boot on his the other foot. Uh, he'd lost his boot in a tackle and Sunas came through when Billy still had only one boot on and uh, the referee rightly sent Sunas packing. Um, it's a terrible, terrible challenge. Um, so that was a, a a good early statement, a good early you know laying down a marker that this this was going to be a different Celtic team this season. Um, then the second game against the Huns. At Ibrox, that infamous, infamous match where uh, four players ended up going to court. I mean, when you look back at it now, you look back on the on the instance in the game, um, the initial one with McAvenny and uh, McAvenny and Chris Woods. It was it was handbag stuff, really, and other players wading in, and then it all going to court with with Woods and McAvenny and Butcher and uh, Roberts, Graham Roberts, then Graham Roberts uh, conducting the the bigoted. Ibrox crowd and everything. Just, you look back on it now, it's just 
mental stuff and that the fact that it, the fact that the three Huns were found guilty uh, and McAvenny was found not guilty of McAvenny laughing that laughing in court that he he, he was rightly found not guilty. I mean the whole thing was a load of shite, really, a load of bollocks. Um, but yes, yeah, a two-two draw. Getting back to the act, the actual match and not not the not the controversy. Um, Celtic being two 0 up in that game, I think Caesar was was a bit not a bit disappointed. I'm sure Caesar was positively fuming that we threw away two goal lead. And um, just you know, in, in that game, they scored two late goals um, after the Andy Walker had scored the first and uh, the own goal by Butcher under pressure from from. Uh, Pierre Grant who blessed himself down the Broomlow end great moments when you look back and just they're moments of gold when you see Pierre Grant doing that in front of the Celtic fans uh, but yeah tuning it up at half time and, and uh, finishing two all but again it was with a win and a draw in the two games against the Huns like I said those games are going to be key um, and then the win at Ibrox um Sorry, the third game then would have been Celtic Park, if memory serves me right. The the wonderful, wonderful moment from uh, Paul McStay in the middle of the park in the first half. Gets the ball around the halfway line, pivots, has a bit of space, but uses the space as only Paul McStay could. And the killer pass that set Chris Morris free down the right. Brilliant play from McStay. Just, he was such a great player, McStay. He really was. Um, yeah, Chris Morris galloping down. Good Great ball across the goal mouth and McAvenny couldn't miss. 1-0, great goal. And McAvenny's header then in the second half, 2-0, when Graham Roberts was again in goal. Um, I'm presuming Woods was, had gone off injured. To that uh, I can't remember why Roberts was in goal in that, in that game. Um, but yeah, 2-0 against, against the Huns. That was two wins and a draw against them. Um, and then massive game then at, at Ibrox the second time around. Um, another... Great moment from Paul McStay. Um, wonderful goal, left foot at the Broomlow end. Broomlow Broom Road end, brilliant left foot strike in the edge of the box from from uh, the maestro. And then, uh, yeah, the winner from Walker uh, from Anton Rogan's header was gone wide and goes off Walker's shoulder um, into the into the back of the net. Two one win, great win, key win. It probably pretty much clinched the title. Um, just looking back again on YouTube, as I say, Andy Walker was—he was some centre forward that season. Um, McAvenny got all the headlines, and rightly so. McAvenny's goal-scoring exploits and his character around the dressing room was—he was a huge signing, really, by by Caesar, a great signing. Um, and Mark McGee, you know, with McGee, McAvenny, Walker up front—that was—it was great. You could pick any two from those three, and and you'd, you'd get a you'd, you'd get a, a potent attacking force, um, and they all contributed in that season. Um, but Walker, it just disappoints me what a, a bad co-commentator he is. I, I, I don't like his what he says a, a lot of the time on on Sky. But he was sensational that season. Uh, young centre forward, he, he really scored some some important goals and some really good goals. Um, so yeah, the league was was uh, the league was won uh, in brilliant, uh, fantastic unbeaten run. I think it was thirty-one games. I think they went unbeaten. Um, towards the end of that season fantastic run to, to land the title and um, so it all came down to the cup then could we could we do a double in the centenary year and uh, handy enough run to the to the semi-final and then going behind to, to Hearts for a clear free kick for a foul by um, a foul on Packy Bonner um, from McPherson Dave McPherson jumps with Packy um, a clear free kick ball went straight into the back of the net Celtic one down 
could call it out. Uh, VAR probably would have still allowed it. Um, nonsense. Um, but then this Celtic team just, you know, they were such a, a team of, of, like I said, mental strength as well as physical, you know, technical ability. They're mentally so strong. They refused to buckle. Um, Mark McGee's equaliser threw a forest of bodies, really, um, from a half-cleared corner. Uh, McGee somehow found a way with a shot to threw a crowd of players into the into the corner and then um, yeah then the, the late winner from uh, from Walker from a yard again McGee getting up uh, above the goalkeeper to head the ball across a goal mouth and um, Andy Walker Johnny on the spot score from a, a yard 2-1 and what, what I vividly remember again as I say from only watching the snippets of it just the, the gathering of Celtic fans at the Celtic end in Hamden it was just Mind blown! I, I can only imagine what it was like up there uh, in terms of the noise, but the sheer um, and the passion. But the sheer—you wouldn't have an inch to yourself, you know. The, there must have been no room to move. It was unbelievable. I just remember marveling at when the the cameras panned to this to Celtic end, and it was just a sea of bodies and green and white scarves and tricolours and passion and noise. It was f- unbelievable. That I will. So that just sticks out in my mind, and it did again in the final. Um, when again, Celtic came from behind. Uh, Kevin Gallagher puts Dundee United ahead, and Mac- McKnight was in goal that day, and Packy was injured. Uh, but again, what a what a team of leaders and warriors this Celtic team was. You know, to come back like that. Uh, great play from Rogan down the left, crossed for McAvenny to head the equaliser. Um, and then a couple of minutes from the end, the the Joe Miller corner, uh, low into the box, Billy Stark swings his right foot at it and it breaks to McAvenny six yards out. And McAvenny's there, back at a net 2-1. And again, as I said just a minute ago, just the, the explosion of noise and, and bodies everywhere on the Celtic end was just... I'm just shaking my head. This, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it because, you know, it was... 21 years of age watching watching those highlights and just remembering what a support what an incredible support Celtic have um, 2-1 centenary year I can still see Caesar on the touchline in his suit punching the air um, what a moment uh, for, for Caesar you know it's 21 years on from Lisbon be managing his beloved Celtic to a, a double in the centenary year wow um, again for any of you guys who were, who were at the game the, the cup final to, to, to have that in your in your memories must be must be beautiful to, to have um, so yeah the double was won 88 centenary year and from an Irish point of view then the, the three Celtic lads Bonner, McCarthy and, and Morris went on to, to Germany for the European Championships um, and who do we beat in our first game only England um, incredible I was in Stuttgart I was in Germany for, the, for that week for the European Championships um, so what a, what a few weeks that the, the three Celtic lads had McCarthy Bonner and, and Morris to, to win the, the double for Celtic centenary year go on to represent Ireland in their first finals internationally to beat England uh, play so well against the Soviet Union and, and then get knocked out in the third game knocked out of the semi-final by a, an offside goal by the Dutch um, so what a few few weeks what a season that was for the, the three Irish lads but what a season for, for Celtic fans and um, everyone associated with Celtic um, it couldn't be any other club to do something like that in their centenary year um, you know it was just thing, the stars align you know Caesar comes back 
uh, for the centenary season. Um, the Huns were the champions. We dethroned the champions, Graham Sunis and all that shite. Um, McAvenny's goals, uh, Walker's goals, Billy Stark in midfield, the maestro at his best. Um, yeah, fantastic season, great memories. Um, and we'll, they'll never be taken away from us. Take care, folks. Hell, hell. We never stop. The next part of the season was really the Taylor Two Rangers games. The first one was at Celtic Park in August, and um, there was a a sense of kind of trepidation about the game from Lodsey, um different factions, if you like. I can distinctly remember my uncle Francis saying, "Now we're going to go through in the car that day," which was like you know hen's teeth regarding us. We were always on the bus and. Um, I remember we went through and and uh, his Volvo. It was a Volvo he had, and we parked up near, <coughs> um, sort of, in the on the Gallagate, but kind of, kind of Celtic end way of the Gallagate, and walked up in the blazing sunshine, um, to the game. And I think it was because, this was the first time in nine years that uh, Rangers would be coming to Celtic Park as champions. And so, you know, there was a growing sense of, uh, we have to beat them, but will we beat them? Um, But as the game started, um, Celtic started like an express train as usual. And um, Mark McGee crossed it in. Peter Grant dummied it and Billy Stark got a beautiful shot right in the bottom corner um, at Chris Wood's right hand uh, and that was like settled everybody doing and really <clears throat> although it was 1-0 that day it should have been 10-0 we absolutely murdered them Paul McStay was absolutely immense um, and really and I can remember Tommy Burns gliding through players and you know three or four and he just put it past the post and you see the anguish in his face because he knew, you know, what that would have meant. But, of course, the, the second half was lit up with Graham Sunis, you know, trying his usual um, hammer-thrower tactics and um, almost decapitating Billy Stark, who only had the one boot on, as previously mentioned. And as soon as the red card was produced, that was treated like a, a second goal. Matter of fact, if you look at the footage on YouTube, um, you'll see the Celtic end in particular. Actually, everybody breaks out their scarves, like a you'll never walk alone. And as previously mentioned, this was a time when everybody wore scarves at games. Um, and just to see him walking off, you know, it was to the crowd, the cries of penis, penis, you know. Absolute brilliant. And I remember the headline, the next day, soon as off in paradise. Um, fantastic. And so that was great. Um, and then we kind of had a couple of games. We had went to Brockville and won one nil, and had a draw at Tanadice. And, you know, this is in a, an era where it wasn't like a draw was the end of the world. You know, getting a draw at Tanadice was decent. Um, Whereas, you know, there was a period, particularly through Rangers' cheating, where it was like you dropped points in one game and that was the season finished, you know. 
such was the unlikeliness of that happening anywhere else. Um, and we kind of tinkered on a wee bit, but this, this, the city initial um, bounce to the new season had started to wear off a bit. And by October, we were kind of struggling a wee bit. Um, you know, we'd had a game against Forfar in the League Cup, I remember people were like this. 3-2 we won. Um, but we, I remember we got down to Dumbarton and won in 5-0, which was great. Um, and then we got knocked out the cup um, at Pataudry. And the song then was, you know, stance, dance, whatever you may be. We lost the Skull Cup at Pataudry. Skull Shop, Skull Cup shite. We didn't give a fuck because we all win the league and Scottish Cup. You know, that was how it was kind of looked on for because we were so dreadful in that tournament. We almost just ignored it. Um, but then, of course, um, we had uh, played Morton at Celtic Park. And although I think we won 3-1, but it was pretty poor. And we went to Ibrox the next week. Now, you could do a podcast about this game on its own, you know. Um, there was... What has to be said straight away was there was an incredible hatred in the ground. Now, people say, well, it's a Celtic Rangers game, of course it was, but this was like with an intensity that I'd probably never experienced before. I really hadn't um, at Ibrox. And you could feel the hatred, and it was the songs of the time was away, 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 fuck the Pope and the IRA, away, 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 fuck the Queen and the UDA. That was swirling back and forth. Um, and then... Of course, we'd signed Frank McAvenny, um, because we needed to sign Frank McAvenny. The fans had been chanting for Charlie Nicholas to come back. Um, mentioned that Forfar game; they were chanting that night because it was poor, and we needed. We had Mark McGee and Andy Walker, and they were great. And I love Mark McGee, and Andy Walker was a sensation. Um, then, but it just needed mayor, um, to break teams down and score mayor goals, and so. You know, Mike McAvenny was desperate to impress in, in, in his first ever Rangers game. Um, so you had the wee... The precursor to the scuffle with him and Woods was um, the first minute the ball got played high up and Woods was looking up at it ready to catch it and McAvenny just bundled him into the net. You know, that was the the, the standard in the days. You, you made your um, presence known on players, you know. And that was him just basically saying, oh, you know, you're not going to get an easy day today, son. But then I think when they clashed again, Woods was expecting Mayer, so he kind of went in full tilt and really um, sort of overreacted and then all of a sudden the handbags are out and stuff like that. And so... Um, and Butcher and Roberts get involved and, you know... Um, it's, it's incredible that McAvenny gets sent off and then you see the Huns uh, and the Govan stand all cheering and then the referee turns, the referee that day was a guy called Jim Duncan, um, he turns to McAvenny and the realisation, eh, sorry, he turns to Chris Woods, I beg your pardon, and the realisation for the Huns is that Woods is about to be sent off. <laughs> and they can't believe it because this is before substitute goalkeepers and all that. And of course, Graham Roberts goes and goal, and uh, Butcher gets sent off. Uh, no, after that, so you know it's anyway. So isn't it? But what gets forgotten in that? Um, 
is that, you know, we were miles ahead of him in that game. You know, Andy Walker runs through, slots it beautifully past Graham Roberts, right at the broom loan end. Now, it was pretty um, unique in that we were shooting at the broom loan end in the first half. That never normally happened. But, and then, of course, the ball runs through and uh, Terry Butcher scores an own goal, which Peter Grant not only claimed, but then was wanting canonised for, I think, when he placed himself. Um, and you can actually see the kind of seething rage in Peter Grant's face, which is not normally associated with Celtic players scoring against them. It's normally them that are like that. Um, but you're thinking, 2-0, you know, let's just fucking... Especially when Butcher ends up getting sent off. You're sort of like, right, you know, just, just fucking close the game out and, you know, pick them off. And I remember, I think it was Tommy Burns cross when Billy Stark cut a header for about 20 yards it'll hit the bar. Um, and then McCoy scored. And I remember, I mean, McCoy, forget the cheeky chappy nonsense that people try to permeate about him. And when he scored, he stood on the halfway line and he started waving at the Celtic supporters in the, the West Enclosure at Ibrox and he's if they say fuck you basically you know um, and then of course there was a scramble and Richard Goff taps it in and then we had the conducting uh, the sash by Graham Roberts and this would then dominate Scottish football for a while because obviously these players were Charles were inciting breach the peace and all this kind of nonsense and what ended up happening was um, Butcher got found guilty Woods got found not got found guilty Roberts got found not proven which he didn't understand because it was a Scottish law and Frank McAvaney got found not guilty and that was a song that went ruined everybody was you know Frank McAvaney not guilty Ball by Nicol only putting pressure on his own defence There's a nice dummy, Billy Stark has scored. One nothing, beautifully taken by Stark. Delirious Celtic supporters. Almost four and a half minutes, I take it. Original mistake by Jimmy Nickel. And look at this ball. Beautiful little dummy there. And there was Billy Stark. That was not an easy chance. There's Durant right into the path of a Celtic player again. Durant, who's had a very good start to the season, is right out of touch in this match. There's Walker. And a Japan, brilliant piece of play. Mark McGee for Walker. Tantalising ball there. Walker did very well indeed, and look how close McGee gets. There's Durant. Oh, Sinus. There's a lovely shot, and it just passed. Beautiful move by Ringer. That is certainly after 27 minutes, the first concerted move they've had in the match. And Ali McCoist, very unlucky there. Now Durant, beautiful play by Durant, through it goes to McCoy, and he's done it! No, offside, 
it looked as if he'd got the equaliser. Beautiful move. Superb play by Durant. Lovely little flick, but there he was in that offside position before he picked it up. Well, very fast and furious. <laughs> Will he start? Oh, there's Roy Aiken incensed by that. Buns. Ferguson's up. Clutter of players. McStay. Looking for that little chip. And that's off the ball. And tremendous pressure as McCall tried to concede the corner kick. The youngster really up against it there. He decided that the only way he could defend this was put it over his own crossbar and Walker in sharp as ever just underneath it twice now Ferguson here's Durant here's Ferguson no too much again holding on to the ball far too often Celtic on the counter attack and Burns looking dangerous Rogan on the left here's Burns going through and he can't get around a great effort by Tommy Buns. Anguished expression there. And there goes the final whistle. No stoppage time added on. And the Celtic supporters absolutely jubilant. One goal in it. Billy starts goal in four and a half minutes. Uh, so we beat, as I say, we've hit this game before the one at Tandy's for Joe Miller, scored a late goal in Boxing Day, um, which I think was a massive game, really. Um, so it was into the New Year game, and like, at Celtic Park, we're for a game that's been talked about many times, but it was like Balmy Stays. Uh, inch perfect pass along to Chris Morris who just like cut it right across the six yard box McAvaney was there and he scored and he's running towards the jungle his hands in his he's in like, disbelief as if this is a dream come true it was and then uh, Graeme Roberts back in nets again the days when there was no sub keepers and uh, like McAvaney's here around by him and just Oh, happy birthday, dear Celtic. Uh, lives, with, lives with me to this day. But uh, I remember a week after that, we went to Love Street and um, we drew one each and we had guys like a penalty in the last minute. And the whole match, I mean, they can humour my fans here because the whole match, Frank McGarvey was playing with St Mirren and we're singing Frank McGarvey still at him the whole game. Um, so one each, last minute of the match. Celtic penalty, McAvaney steps up to hit it, misses the penalty, and the whole St Mirren end are singing McAvaney's still a scene. 
So I fit by you, my for you. So again, um, I remember the Scottish Cup tie. Uh, it springs to mind against Hibs. I think it was live in the telly. It was a Sunday. Didn't get many Sunday games back then. Live in the telly, nil each draw. Um, and then the replay straight away that Wednesday at Easter Road. Uh, and it was all ticket and I remember there was like a massive ticket scramble for that and we were getting Easter Road that night and it was absolutely jam-packed uh, all terracing and you, you see footage of that game and it is it's, it doesn't even look safe to be honest I mean when you see some of these crowds uh, packed behind the net but uh, again I remember it was was it Peter Grant shot either hit the bar or I think it hit the bar and then Billy Starr dived in he drew it in and through to the quarters to play Partick Thistle away and again it was another match it was so hyped up and the ticket scramble for that game was unbelievable for Partick at Fur Hill uh, again like we must have got a massive allocation as well and it was still a massive ticket scramble because it was all terracing days um, and again it was like remember for Tommy Burns' volley that day the, like a cracking goal I think that's what it's most memorable for but I am trying to think if there's any game. I well, indeed, Dens Park was another league game, another last minute winner. Uh, McAvaney. Um, I remember the heaters, like it was at the opposite end to where Celtic fans were, and just a bedlam that day. Um, so, I, by this stage, we're coming into the kind of business end of the season. Um, and I remember, obviously, uh, the Rangers game at Ibrox when Jan Bartram equalised after uh, the Maestro scored like just an unbelievable goal for the edge of the box and then Andy Walker's deflected sitting off his chest um, so that's it as well on the way uh, to like this remarkable season I wasn't at the I think we played Aberdeen a rearranged game on the Wednesday night after that um, and Andy Walker scored and I think the Celtic fans were in the match so they stayed in the stadium for about half an hour after the game chanting and singing uh, so I by this stage then it's right I think they knew the title it was just a matter of time and I remember going to Easter Road again and been packed in and just like I remember Celtic I think we won 2-0 that day uh, and just I remember you'll never walk alone like you'll see old footage on I think it's actually on YouTube but it's in that and it's just a forest of scars behind the net because like I know this might sound a bit weird, but everybody seemed to have a scarf back then. A lot of people don't take a scarf to the football, but everybody had a scarf back then. It was uh, and it was just, just this forest of scarfs behind the net. So I um we're well on our way and uh, the next game that springs to mind is the going to Tyne Castle to win the title. Um so we're absolutely we actually had a double decker bus for going to that game. <laughs> now we got about five tickets between the whole year for that for that game, but uh, a double decker for Tyne Castle, um, and just like going up in the bus and just like all the bevy in the bus and stuff. And uh, again, I was I'd be, I'd be sixteen by that stage, but I think I, I think I sneaked a few on myself. But uh, I hinted the game and two 0 down. Just think, oh, I can't believe blown it here. Uh, but then you can come out the game thinking, oh, it's just a matter of time. So next week, obviously, home to Dens Park was just delaying the party. And in hindsight, I think it was poetic. We did win it at Celtic Park. Um, it was in the jungle that day. I was in, thankfully, it was 
the old bus always got up really sharp and it was in early and then just saw the crowd building up and building up and then folk out in the, the ash like surroundings and stuff out in the, the track uh, I was on the park and we scored the winner uh, scored the oh, well, and the third goal went in and uh, we won the title I on the park and actually left the jungle and came out the other side at the Celtic end because it was kind of close to the other buses were um, but there was, there was hundreds in the park that day um, but you don't really see scenes like that now uh, so I the semi-final then against Hearts at Hamden another like huge ticket scramble again for like I think there must have been 70,000 hearts had a massive support that day as well. Another day when you thought everything's gone, but still you're kind of resigning yourself, thinking, oh, well, the league title and still good enough, but then, no, no, this was Celtic in the centenary season, it wasn't happening. So, Mark McGee, Daisy Cutter by about six hearts players, he qualifies, and then, of course, Henry Smith flapping at the ball and Andy Walker balling in at the roof of the net. So, we're on our way to the final. Kind of weird how it was a very similar type of game to the Hearts semi-final when they went a goal up and two latest goals, well, one the very late goal by Maka and uh, it just it crowned off this, as Billy McNeil says, this fairy tale. But I, um, I was like, I remember those were the days as well when you queued, like, the public sales are uh, tickets for Ibrox and Pataudry. You had to be there sharp and uh, was it again up there like two games actually Petard did the one McAvaney scored in October 87 queued uh, early I think it was before a a Morton game I think Roy Aiken scored with a penalty possibly in the last kick of the ball again that's another massively late goal uh, but aye those were the days um, and it's aye as I say etched in it's in my memory forever that and I think any Celtic fans our age group will say the same ok Paul cheers it stays up in support for Celtic there's Morris Phillips at full stretch and the fullback did well and an angry exchange there between McAvenny and Woodson here's trouble now and this is what everyone was hoping would not arise McAvenny went hustling into Woods Woods reacted angrily then Butcher stepped in and now the referee has a problem Phillips cut off the cross there was Woods with McAvenny a very angry exchange between the pair there's Woods and McAvenny clashing in comes Butcher and here's where the trouble really started with Roberts going across down goes McAvenny and what action will now be taken by referee Jim Duncan Referee pulling across Woods and McAvenny. Well, certainly they were the principal players involved initially. And it really is a very tense moment to see which colour of card referee Duncan will show to these players. Richard Goff being invited to leave the scene. So the referee explaining carefully to the players the basis for the decision he's taking. And it's a red card is it for Frank McAvenny it certainly appears to be a red card for McAvenny drama here at Ibrox 17 minutes of the match gone Frank McAvenny is ordered off and the 
question now remains, what will happen to Chris Woods? Off goes McAvenny. Tense moments too for the Rangers fans. And a red card also for Chris Woods. So both sides reduced to ten men. And Terry Butcher will now be in serious trouble if he does not control his protests. Sheer drama here at Ibrox. Butcher is now being booked. And that clearly for the show of dissent. And indeed, it may be said that he was lucky in the first instance with his involvement initially, obviously seen by the referee, to be acting in the role of a peacemaker initially. Now he's been booked. And Rangers have a serious problem. Who do they now delegate the task of goalkeeper to? Well, Chris Woods follows Frank McAvenny to the dressing room. Off goes Chris Woods straight to the dressing room. And the replacement goalkeeper for Rangers is Graham Roberts. away from Butcher there's a chance for the goal it's well saved by Roberts Peter Grant holds his head but it was a marvellous save from Graham Roberts Butcher clearly thought an offside flag was going up he was outpaced here by Grant he's in behind the Rangers defence Roberts coming out to narrow the angle Grant trying to play the ball behind him and that was a magnificent save from the stand-in keeper Powerful header by White, but he bundled into the back of Falco to reach the ball, and the free kick goes to Rangers. Definitely insists that it's taken from the right place. I didn't really do that because Ferguson accepted the free kick from Golf. There's Golf again. It's Butcher. Falco's header. Not a bad effort. Knight had to adjust his position quickly. Well, Falco did very well indeed to get a head-on target at all from that position. And it was comfortably taken in the end by Really a back three so far in the match. Barclay and the spare man with Morris pushing forward on the right. And there's a foul by Morris on Durant. Terry Butcher takes the free kick looking for McCoist tangle of legs sorted out by McCarthy here's a chance now for Walker Sandy Walker going through and Roberts no mistake this time Celtic are in front 33 minutes into the first half Andy Walker collects his 13th goal of the season and that's one which he will certainly relish Rangers caught out badly in defence, caught out square. Walker's pace carrying him away from Butcher. Roberts trying to cut out the angle. Walker judged the left foot shot perfectly. That would have beaten the top class keeper. And Celtic now go one in front. Stark, not a good sideways. McStay helps it on to Grant. 
Well, that's a good ball from Stark. Here's Walker. That's for Peter Grant. That's the second. Peter Grant celebrates in front of the Celtic fans. And that undoubtedly down to the chaos in the Rangers' defence once again. Well, now, did this come off Terry Butcher or was it Peter Grant? It was a fine pass, this from Stark. Walker laid it inside. There was Grant racing through, getting to the ball, but it was Butcher who got to it first. It's an own goal from Terry Butcher. A spark was needed, and the spark was Joe Miller. At that time, Celtic always had a wee habit of uh, signing players on a Friday before a home game, but because it always boosted the attendance. And uh, Joe signed for six hundred and fifty thousand uh, the Friday before a game against Dundee. What was quite funny was Alec Ferguson was absolutely furious because he claimed Aberdeen had given him first refusal on Joe and knew nothing of the deal that Celtic had done until it had been done and dusted. Um, so it was really an exciting because Joe had actually scored every time he'd played at Celtic Park. Um, so, you know, everybody was hoping he would uh, continue that record, obviously, and when the game... Um, came along the next day they felt like an excitement it was a bustle there was a Paul McStay buzz about the place and we won 5-0 and Joe Miller scored and um, you could just feel the team gathering momentum um, and we um, you know it felt like Joe was the the missing link if you will Um no, the team was was taking shape, but it still required that wee thing, and and, and Joe was that. Um, games came thick and fast, and so did victories. Um, right up until we went to Easter Road, uh, at the end of November, and what I vividly remember about the game was, first of all, it wasn't the old ticket, and that put the fury god into me, and my mate because we were only. 13, uh, coming for Edinburgh, you know, obviously, to, to, to go and watch Celtic, we wanted to ensure we got in that game, simple as that, um, and so we were up there for about two o'clock, and it was already busy, I mean, it was busy, um, now, at that time, Easter Road held 24,000, officially, I was told later by a Hibs historian that the actual crowd was mere like 35,000 in the ground that day because there was no mechanism for a pay-as-you-go, pay-at-the-gate scenario to say ground full. Simple as that. And I can distinctly remember being in the Celtic end that day and literally not being able to lift my arms up. Um, but we're still about 18 months away from Hillsborough, so there wasn't that kind of psyche of something bad could happen because um, one t- I just remember at one time we were singing You Never Walk Alone and I literally could not get my hands up in the air to lift my scarf um, and of course whilst it wasn't in our psyche something bad could happen um, something bad did happen uh, we'd gone a goal up you could tell there were Celtic supporters all over the ground 
Um, and then a few minutes later, I, uh, my position in the Dumbari and allowed me to see this, the so-called Celtic casuals who were up at the fence. Then there was like a, a gap and then there was the Hibs East Terracing. Now, of course, the Celtic casuals were never really welcomed at Celtic. Um, quite often you heard chancy casuals, casuals get to fuck. And sometimes you saw people, um, you know, take setting about them, basically, at games. I particularly remember one game later in that season against St Mirren in a midweek game where they got surrounded in a, in a doing in the Celtic end at the back under the number four. And... Um, but all of a sudden they all started bouncing up and down. And there was just something about it, because they weren't any singing. So it was like, what's going on here? And then, you know, I, set, I, I, I didn't see the CS gas canister being thrown, but that was the diversion to allow the person to throw it. And um, all of a sudden, Hibs fans started spilling onto the pitch, and you kind of thought it was a smoke bomb, because of the kind of scene that you saw basically you know and um, so there was a first there was a bit kind of haha look at the state you use blah 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 and then you've seen people kind of coming on and <coughs> all this kind of stuff and covering their face rubbing their eyes you know what's going on here and um, there was then a kind of surge for the Hibs casuals and you've got to say the CCS at that time the Capital City Service were a pretty um, notorious, nefarious and fearsome outfit. They made their way towards the Celtic end and then the enclosure, but the, the polis had kind of pushed them back. And then you realise it was a, a lot more serious than a smoke bomb. But you just kind of stood there and was like, you know, by this time it was starting to get dark, you know, it's, it's late November and you really never had a clue what was going on. Players taken off, brought back on, and then the game was played out in a really surreal atmosphere, which is really bizarre actually because it had started in such a bristling, crackling atmosphere. And um, Celtic were playing really well at the time. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, I remember just thinking, just end, please, you know, because it was clear there was going to be retribution sought after the game. Um, not that I actually saw any because I actually was gone the other way with my mate whereas the rest of the people were gone up um, Easter Road and to, along London Road we were gone kind of along Iona Street and to Leith Walk to get a bus home um, very surreal and very unnecessary First thing that comes to mind uh, when I think back to the centenary season, 1987-88, that was a song. Um, figure and attraction, Eddie Reader, perfect, um, just great, happy memories. Must have sung that song over and over and over again, particularly towards the end of the season. Um, just wonderful, wonderful times. In fact, a lot of the a lot of the things I remember about that period um, weren't necessarily just, just watching Celtic 
uh, win uh, that season. But you know, I remember the Glasgow Garden Festival was on at the time, and um, the, uh, the the flower bed um, that we had there um, at the Glasgow Garden Festival display, you know, to kind of and marker as a you know, tribute to, to our centenary was fantastic. I was very fortunate, you know, I think back to those days that, you know, there's so many great memories, but I never really have any photographs of being at games or whatever. People didn't take cameras, but I remember getting my, my photo taken at the bottom of that, that um, you know, that flower bed. Um, still got it to this day, and I'm glad I did. It's a, it's a, great, a great kind of memento. Uh, uh, to have so Glasgow Carden Festival um, I remember that also remember uh, uh, Celtic Supporters Club at the time William Malloy um, I think it was kind of kicked off by a guy called Arthur Haggerty you know, Matt, Matt McGloom was involved I think as well somewhere along the lines but uh, absolutely hilarious um, I remember I think uh, I think basically that the honorary members were Pope John Paul II, Margaret Thatcher, Graham Souness, um, you know, Walter Smith. Um, they were all sent memberships in the post and if they didn't return them, they were deemed FEV members. Um, and for people who remember them as well, they, they if you know, to, to get into the to get into be part of the club you were you were you were given a card, I think. You know, I think it was it was a photo, like, not a photo, it was a picture of um, Arthur and his dad in the back and for the cards that were handed out, there were different ones with different colours. I think I had a, a pink one. Um, it was pink on the back. And I remember something about being the dancing James Connolly or something. But for people who don't, who don't have a clue what I'm talking about, what the hell is this guy on about? For people who do know what I'm talking about, they'll, they'll remember it well. And, you know, it was really, it was a, it was a kind of cult, cult following they had for the supporters club at the time. And, you know, even the players were into it. And there was like this, they had this little hand signal, if you you know, to, to, to kind of demonstrate you were a Willie, Willie Malloy, um, you know, Celtic supporters club member. And a lot of the players who played for the Celtic did it sometimes. You know, they'd come, they'd do it, they'd kind of do this hand signal coming off the park. I remember Derek White in particular, but again, just absolutely brilliant times. Um, I think they actually brought out an EP, there's a Willie Malloy EP as well, but you know, just, just absolutely great memories. Actually, Still on the, the supporters club, I remember they they made t-shirts as well, and I think the the big thing for us that season was Rangers get knocked out the cup by Hamilton Ackies at, at Ibrox in the evening times. I think they ran some kind of like headline that was humiliation. Within <laughs> hours or a day or something, we had uh, William Malloy had the t-shirts out with the the front page with that sign on it. Just absolutely brilliant, great banter. In terms of the football itself, I mean, you know, think about. Ange Postecoglou and what he did, what he did last season, you know, absolutely just it's incredible. Given the, the turnover, the players that left the club and having to build something from scratch, wasn't quite like that. Eighty-seven, um, eighty-eight, big Billy come back to Celtic. The kind of infamous story about the, um, uh, you know, having a conversation with Jack McGinn or whoever, and a car park was in Clyde Bank or something, and. Next minute, Big Billy's back in the door as, as the manager after, you know, a couple of years away, Davy Hay 
taking charge. But <clears throat> you know, we we lost so many players uh, during that summer. You think about Brian McClare, Morris Johnson, Murdo McLeod, Alan McAnally, Danny McGrangeway, you know, legend at the club, Davy Proven retired. Just all those players leaving, you just think you've you've not got a chance in hell, you know, and it's a centenary season and um, we'd already signed Big Mick McCarthy, I think. Uh, David Hayd actually signed him before he, he, you know, he'd been dismissed, and and then Billy when he came in, he signed Andy Walker and and Chris Morris and Billy Stark. Um, <clears throat> you know, da- uh, Andy Walker. I remember just kind of similar to Brian McClure. Both of them had signed from Motherwell, and I think both of them had done some damage to us in, in, in previous games. Almost like you were signing them to stop scoring against us, but. Um, you know, both Celtic supporters, but uh, great, great signings. But um, you know, even at that, um, we, we they were they were great players, and they gave us a better chance. But obviously, during the season um, when they had no transfer windows, we obviously signed Frank McAvaney, who was your top striker, West Ham and in, in, in England, and then Joe Miller, who was a you know um, had been um, done a great job at Aberdeen, a young guy uh, just starting out in his career, but signing him. Uh, you know, and obviously both being huge Celtic fans, so so that was a you know that was a big moment in terms of you know the signings we made. I think back to the games. You know, I was at the first game of the season. Um, we we beat um, Morton four 0 at Capello. Um, remember it well. In fact, you know, it's one of these seasons. I, I was at most games. Those seasons, I went to. I probably went to about eighty five, ninety percent of the games, home and away, and. It was just absolutely brilliant, you know. Um, so many great games. I remember the first defeat we, we could beat off Dunfermline um, at uh, East End Park, uh, which, which 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 wasn't so great. Um, but you know, um, you most of the other ones, uh, you know, just some some, some great results. Um, I, I didn't go to actually two each game at Ibrox. I missed it for whatever reason uh, that day. Um, I did go to all of the other Celtic Rangers games that season. Um, obviously, the the two 0 game at Celtic Park, McAvenny both goals. Um, you know, there was a great day. The Paul Meeks day pass, defence splitting, Chris Morris, and you know the overlapping fullback, and then and then McAvenny for a tap in the head. And again, you know. Gotta be honest, a disappointing day for the club and look back, um, you know, the, the racist abuse that the Mark Rollers received that day was just absolutely shocking, um, terrible. Um, um you know, it was bad, um was bad that day, but uh, you know, the the other games uh, that we played against them that season, I try to think we yeah, we beat them two 0 at Celtic Park and then we we beat them we beat them 2-1 at Ibrox and I remember that game actually sorry I missed the one I obviously missed the first one the first Celtic Rangers game when Billy um, was it Billy Stark scored the goal I think it's a kind of dummy by Mark McGee Billy, McStar- Billy Stark at the back post and that, that shocking tackle by by Graham Soonis um, but you know, got a red card. Not his, not 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 the first of his career. Um, so jumping on a bit, yeah, and obviously the the, the kind of clincher in terms of beating Rangers two one at two one at um, 
Ibrox and you know Paul McStay just the sheer joy they glee in his face when he scored that day and um, Jan Bartram I think it was equalised for Rangers and then of course with the um, I can't remember who crossed the ball in but um, Anton Rogan um, shocking header for about three yards out puts it wide and then batters off the chest Andy Walker into the, in the goal that's actually the first time I'd ever been in the Broomland Road stand at um, at uh, Ibrox uh, before typically being in the main stand um, when we used to get tickets um, for their well documented but that was the first time what a great experience right because that was it and then they, once, once we beat once we beat Rangers only a kind of handful of games uh, to go um, and uh, and that was that yeah it was just absolutely fantastic I remember I remember the the, the Dundee game at home where we clinched it uh, I think Chris Morris maybe his first goal for Celtic um, that day but I was in the jungle that day um, uh, with with a, with a couple of pals and you know I just remember it obviously that famous story goes we're hearing about that night or the day after there's no way there was only whatever it was 50, 60,000 fans in, in the ground I do agree with that because they were you know um, as the game kicked off there was people on the track and the place was just absolutely jam packed I've never I don't think I've ever seen Celtic Park like that the old Celtic Park it was just it was jam packed it was stout that day and it was a it was a great a great moment for us um, and then in terms of the cup competition you know I was um, I was away I actually missed the semi-final I was on like some kind of school exchange trip I was in uh, exchange trip I was in France at the time uh, missed it but I heard back home you know from my dad my dad told me all about it you know and, and then I come back and oh my god I don't think I've ever watched like you know two or three minutes of football over and I must have watched that about a hundred times or something you know the Mark McGee coming on and you know um, uh, scoring that goal kind of you know um, through a rock of players and then and then obviously the um, Billy Stark throwing McAvaney kind of high up and under the back post and then Henry Henry dropped the ball Mark McGee a bit of pressure on him and Andy Walker just leathers it in for like two yards just absolute bedlam I loved that having not been at the game as well it was great to watch over and over again and then the cup final itself you know obviously Maggie Thatcher um, was there that day I remember the red cards kind of getting brandished by the, the the Celtic fans and then you know just 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 winning that day was just that you think about about certain, certain games in Celtic's history that you know the, the, those games kind of wrote the history and, and, and that was that was another one you know um, with the 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 two goals near the end obviously going going down to be, begin with and you know I think about I think about games like that in the previous game we'd um, the previous cup final we played I think 85 um, against Dundee United uh, was another one and you know, well documented by Mr Larkin that I missed that due to Ace um, getting caught smoking ban um, but if I think about those games just watching the last 20 minutes of those games it's just that those games are like it's like Celtic the Celtic supporters were the, were the was it the 12th person, the 12th man, whatever, right? Because you just watch, you're almost like you're watching the TV, you feel like you're at the game again. They just urged the team on, they urged them, you know, they just pushed and pushed and pushed. And it was, the players responded and just an absolutely a great moment. And 
such a such a ha- happy time for the club to kind of celebrate our birthday, uh, you know, winning winning uh, winning the double. And I'm thinking perhaps having just started watching the Celtic in the, in the early eighties, that was the first time I think I'd ever seen us win the double. So again, uh, great great moment, but. Uh, yeah, those uh, those days, 1988, I'll never forget that. And, you know, particularly you think about what happened after that, it was pretty much downward spiral for about a good uh, six, seven years before we started doing well again and then getting some momentum up to kind of stopping the, the 10 in a row 10 years later. But, um, you know, just a fantastic, fantastic moment in my life and, and in the history of, uh, history of Celtic. Things moved on and um, the team just kept on winning. There was a great win, another 4 0 win doing it at Morton. But this time, Frank McIverney scored all four goals and uh, it was setting us up for a, a blockbuster game against Hearts at Celtic Park, who were looking like the main challengers. And I can distinctly remember, first of all, there was 55,000 tickets sold for the game. Celtic's here on a Friday, but again, you know, there was easily another 10,000 in that ground that day. Hearts had bought about 7,000 themselves. And absolutely nothing went to plan. Um, we went 2 out doing. Remember Mike Galloway scoring, you know, Anton Rogan making a bad mistake. And I can remember standing in the Celtic end thinking, what is going on here, like, you know? Because I've always got, I'm sure if you live outside Glasgow and of teams other than Celtic beside you kind of thing. Um, there's always that wee bit edge when you play teams for your locale, and obviously with Hibs and Hearts, but particularly Hearts. Kind of thought, oh, fuck, here we go, I'm going to have to go back to school and face this. And, you know, Hearts had a really good team at the time, there's no doubt about it. Um, but we rallied and uh, we, we got a penalty, incredibly, and Andy Walker scored it. And it was kind of game on. And I remember um, just relentless pressure towards the Hertz end and the Celtic supporters and the Celtic end where I was were kind of like, you know, just so willing the team on, willing the team on. And, and then Anton Rogan uh, redeemed himself, ran down the wing, crossed it over. Bob wrote and Paul McStay just leathered it right in. And honestly, the, you just look at it on YouTube, listen to it on here. The look on Paul McStay's face just sums it up what it means to everybody associated with Celtic and it kept us gone. I remember going down to Falkirk, uh, Brockville, soon after, rearranged game, and McStay scored a great goal that night as well. Um, and then we went, it was a game against Aberdeen, which was a draw, but then there was a game at Tannadice where Jamie Neal talked about it was a, a diving header for Joe Miller in the last couple of minutes against a really good Dun United side who had been in the UEFA Cup final um, the previous May. Kept things and set us up perfectly for the uh, New Year game um, at Celtic Park. And uh, we also talk about events off the pitch. This was huge for Celtic in terms of his birthday. And when McAvenny scored the second of the two goals, this one past Graham Roberts, um, the cry went up, happy birthday dear Celtic, which was absolutely phenomenal. You know, it was just like, 
it was like a, a kind of people coronation, if you like, <laughs> for an oxymoron. But of course, the game was overshadowed by events. Uh, Mark Walters, who was a brilliant football player, had signed for Rangers, and um, there was a a context swirling about regarding John Barnes, who'd signed for Liverpool um, that summer. First game at Highbury was had bananas thrown at him and was booed by some of his supporters. Incredible. And then played against Everton and had loads of bananas thrown at him. And there were chants for the Everton and all night about Everton being white and all that kind of stuff. But it was all kind of portrayed in a jokey, jovial fashion. So when it came to Mark Walters, there was this kind of uh, fruit shops in Glasgow are sold out and blah, blah, blah. You know, jovial approach to it. And, you know, I was joking along with it until on New Year's Day, my uncle Francis, he says, you do that and I'll bat you right across the jaw. And you didn't want to hit one of his right hands, believe me. And I just thought, hmm, that made me think about it. And then what made me think about it even more was a guy from Grangemouthford wrote in to Not The View. And basically, um, which is a Celtic fanzine for those who don't know, and said he'd never felt as scared in his life. And he was one of our own supporters, and that's when the penny dropped for me, for me as a 13-year-old. Because I was very fortunate, like half my family on my mother's side's black. So I never really had any of this racism swirling about me at that point in my life, because I was still at school and so on and so forth. So these thoughts never entered my head. Um, but it was an absolutely shameful day. Uh, in Celtic's history, fans have to take responsibility for that. Not everybody was like that, but enough were. And um, it makes it all the mere worse, because as I say, we should be a club open to all. And we weren't that day. There were, of course, other things going on that season in regards to the centenary year. Um, the the Glasgow Garden Festival in 1988 carried a huge floral Celtic badge um, in recognition of the club's 100th anniversary. Um, there was also the Celtic story, um, which was a musical uh, done by... Uh, Dave Anderson and Dave McLennan. Uh, I went to see it in the pavilion. I actually went to see it the night before the cup final. Um, absolutely brilliant. Um, at the end of it, uh, they used to bring on like a big cake, big birthday cake, one of the kind of four, five, six tier things. And it sprung the night I was there, Jimmy Johnson, which was fantastic. You know, that almost brought the... House down. So there was things going on that added to the kind of fairy tale element of the season, really. You know, we'd emerged from the previous thrown away the league, basically, into this kind of all consuming magical time, which I think. Um, Kind of acted as a wee bit of a sort of rebirth of a Celtic team that probably hadn't been that good since, you know, 82 maybe. And um, it felt like it was everywhere. It really, really did. And uh, you felt like you were 
just, you know, kind of like a foot soldier in that army that was kind of processing games through the season. Um, and there was, you know, there was... I know it's it's very easy to kind of be or kind of... Um, kind of wallowing nostalgia, which is one of my biggest hobbies, um, and think it was all a procession and it was all easy, it wasn't it? I mean, for example, in January, late January, we had the Stranraer game, which Stranraer absolutely played us off the park that day. Um, and there was a guy, Bruce Cleland, I think his name was, who missed umpteen chances, including a penalty, and he was emigrating the next game day. And it turned out he was a Celtic fan as well. But we ended up winning one 0 uh, that day, thank God. Um, but that was a genuine fright. Um, and through the kind of month of February, it was you know there was a there was a last minute win at, at Dens Park. Um, I think it was the day before Valentine's Day. Chris Morris scored a free kick, and then Frank McAvaney, um scored a late winner with his head. Um, there was a tumultuous cup tie against Hibs, where. The game was on on a Sunday at Celtic Park, which was absolutely unprecedented then, really. Um, and it was a nil-nil um, draw. Hibs brought about seven or 8,000 through. Um, and believe you me, I don't care what anybody says, there was nothing would please me more than to have their days back of those huge away crowds coming. Um, and then the replay was at Easter Road. Now, of course... What people have to remember is eighty five eighty six we lost on penalties at Easter Road after a four all draw in the Skull Cup and we lost four three at Easter Road in the quarterfinal of the Scottish Cup. Um so we needed to win. And it was another Easter Road busting at the seam, bearing in mind of course that this was the first visit back to Easter Road after the CS gas canister incident. Um I was in the enclosure that night and it just, you know, it was a tremendous shot. Second half, Peter Grant hits the bar and Billy Stark literally pushes McAvaney out the way to heed it in and he does into the quarterfinals. And uh, the quarterfinals were um, Partick Thistle at Fur Hill. Now, the context of this was that, um, to my knowledge, that was the first time I was ever at Fur Hill. But secondly, the tickets were £4 to get in. Now, the average price to get into you know, a game then was £2.50, £1.50 for a child, unless you were squeezed in or lifted over like me. Um, so I'm a massive hoo-ha about that. Um, matter of fact, the cup final that season was the same price, £4. You know, so that gave you an idea of how much we were paying. But we won 3-0. And that put us into the semi-final against Hearts which will remain in the memory of everybody that was there. You know, we played really well. Paul McStay had one of the best games he ever played for Celtic, but Frank McIverney missed chance after chance after chance, and it genuinely did not look like it was going to be our day when um, Brian Whitaker had a speculative lob to see Dave McPherson basically assault Pat Bonner, and the ball went in, and the referee gave the goal, and it was like, oh, no. Um and we just couldn't make the breakthrough until we did make the breakthrough in 87 minutes. Mark McGee put the ball past nine Hearts players to equalise, and then we scored the winner. 
uh, with Andy Walker after McGee challenged Henry Smith a lot more fairly than McPherson did, has to be said. And Andy Walker was here to bull it in. And I just distinctly remember so many people crying at the end of that game because it was just absolutely incredible. And we were walking out the old Celtic end and I heard the guy saying, by the way, Morton have beat Rangers 3-2 today as well, which they did, and it was like, wow, you know, that was in the league. Um, and it was just incredible, and of course, that took us into a Centenary Cup final. More of which later. And the crucial aspect of the league campaign was kind of March-April because we had a huge game at Ibrox. Massive. Again, live on the telly. Incredible. Um, I was in the main stand that day. Uh, just kind of towards the end of it, towards Broomloan. Now, at that time, people will tell you, everybody wanted to be in the Broomloan. Didn't want to be in the enclosure, and you certainly didn't want to be in the main stand or even in parts of the govern stand when they literally couldn't get tickets away, the Rangers. But it was huge, and I remember the news was carrying this story about a Catholic priest who was a Ranger season ticket holder, you know, which at that time was just like, you know, the most bizarre thing ever, really. And, um, but you knew that if we could win this game, the league was coming back to paradise. Um, first half, we played well. Paul McStay again, two or three great shots that Chris Woods made great saves. We're talking 30 yarders here. Um, and it was building towards something, you know. They had their chances as well, don't get me wrong. But um, second half, bit of a stramash in the box, ball drops, Paul McStay leathers one in. And honestly, I mean, you just... It's one of the most iconic pictures in Celtic history, McStay celebrating that goal. The fans went absolutely nuts. And it was such a tight game that, you know, you knew the first goal was going to be absolutely crucial. But 10 minutes later, they equalised. Jan Bartram just had a speculative shot right through everybody and into the bottom corner. And to be honest with you, I think a lot of people then were like, hmm, maybe just take a draw, you know? But this was Celtic in the centenary year and uh, Tommy Burns threw a cross in, which Anton Rogan somehow managed to heater it off target rather than in. But then went in off Andy Walker's chest and Andy Walker reacted like any good striker and acted like it was the most natural thing ever when he was celebrating. Now, I know I remember, because nobody stood up in seats in the days, was Rogan heeded in the ball doing and then it'd be hitting the net. So I automatically assumed that it was Rogan that scored. And I remember this guy, uh, he, had, he had shades on for some reason, curly hair saying, no, no, it was Andy Walker, and you say, like, what, you know? Um, and I remember distinctly one of our crew that was there just got up and left after the second goal went in, okay? So it was like, what's that all about? Anyway, we won the game, it was brilliant again, another tearful, great day. Go back to the bus, and there was a guy, and it's like, what happened to you, where'd you go? And he was like, I just couldn't handle it. He said, I just could not handle it. And... I can relate to that, you know, when you're young, he was a bit older, but when you're young, you're kind of fearless, 
you know, you can't feel it with these kind of things. I feel it now more than I ever did in terms of, you know, nerves before big games and cup finals and derby matches and all that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, you put yourself through it and it fucking must take years off your life. It really must. Do. Um, and But, you know, that was it. And so... Then we went up to Pataudry and again Andy Walker um, scored the goal and the title was virtually secure. It was just a matter of time um, and of course it came not at Tynecastle which was the first opportunity. I remember walking to that game and uh, with Mark Henderson and a guy offered him £10 for his ticket and Mark says for the enclosure, well, jokingly, and he was like, I need bother, you know. Um, but we lost that day but then it set up one of the biggest parties in Celtic's history which was of course Dundee at Celtic Park um, probably the biggest crowd I ever saw at Celtic Park people on the track you know jam packed into the ground we actually missed the first goal that day because of the crowds getting in Chris Morris Andy Walker again two beauties and um, we were champions, you know, in our centenary year. And it really doesn't get any better than that. Nice to use Pat Bonner, with McCoy's cutting off the road to the keeper. Good defensive play by McStay. McStay and Derek Ferguson together. It breaks for Rangers. Here's Ali McCoy's. Now Wilkins. Playing it wide for Durant. Derek Ferguson, Walter is on the right, Aiken goes across, 
This time the left put it cross, a better one. Headed on by Durant. There's Ian Ferguson. It's turned away by Bailey. And a fine effort from Ray Wilkins. Well, the closest yet to the opening goal. After some purposeful Rangers attacking. With this bit of head play inside the box. A fine challenge by Bailey. It came to Wilkins. Bonner clearly thought that was going over at the top of the bar. And he had to be quick in the recovery. Celtic in possession with Chris Morris Rogan now at left back Burns pushing forward there's an error by Nisbet having to retrieve his own mistake and McAvenny trying to cause problems there for the Rangers defence Nisbet getting a rollicking there from Graham Roberts what an error this was quite clearly Chris Wood's ball why the misunderstanding arose I don't know McAvenny in quickly Nisbet did well to recover and then the ball was bouncing awkwardly. Woods did well for Rangers again. Good play from Paul McStay. Two men waiting in the box. There's McStay looping it across to Rogan on the far side. It's back to Billy Stark. Appeals for handball against Goff. but still not clear for Rangers. There's Paul McStay. Paul McStay with the opening goal. 21 minutes into the second half. The Celtic end goes wild a superb strike by Paul McStay it's only his fourth of the season but it was McStay who won that ball on the right initially looked over the cross Anton Rogan nodded it down there was Billy Stark from appeals for handball as the ball was then scrambled out from the head of Graham Roberts then nodded down again by Morris there was McStay and Woods was helpless well, Paul McStay taking the game by the scuff of the neck suddenly. Now striding forward, walking on his right. He may go all the way himself. There's Derek Ferguson. Headed away by Bailey to Bartram. There's the equaliser. Sam Bartram gets his second goal for Rangers. And it's the equaliser, one goal apiece. A fine snapshot from the edge of the box. The ball played in by Derek Ferguson was won well by Bailey. But there was Bartram on his weaker foot to the right, driving that through a ruck of players. And Bonner couldn't reach it. Well, you certainly have the impression now that another goal would settle the match. With 12 minutes remaining, Rangers won, Celtic won. Celtic on the attack. Tommy Burns with the in-swinger. It's in! It's come off Andy Walker. The header was by Rogan. But Walker got the last touch. 11 minutes from time. Celtic go in front once again. And it came from the corner kick. Andy Walker's 26th of the season. And I don't think he knew very much about it. The Rangers defence caught napping. In came Rogan. The header was off target him off the chest of Andy Walker and Celtic are back in the lead here's McAvenny running, running into Wilkins back towards Morris he's away from Bartram another good chance there's McAvenny and what a save from Chris Woods and so to the cup final um, my bus at the time we used to make it always make a huge day the cup final it was always a double decker bus it was always an early leave in it was always early through to Chapel Hall 
it was often things like fancy dress or everybody wear Bermuda shorts or all that kind of stuff because it was an event, you know, you just didn't really see anything like that now. Um, and it was an absolute scorching hot day. You know, you're fully expectation, um, but at the same time, you're playing down United to a great side and you're like, well, we've won the league, so, you know, a cup would be a bonus, like, you know. First shock that happened that day was the fact that Packy Bonner was nine goals. Uh, it was Alan McKnight, and we were like, what the fuck's going on here, kind of thing, you know. Um, this would actually be problems that would plague Bonner for the rest of his career where he's back. But we went in and it was like, right, okay. So, um, first half was a bit of a non-event, really. I think two teams were kind of sussing each other out and stuff. Dundee United were obviously managed by Jim McLean. He was a tactical genius. Um, brilliant counter-attacking team. Took a look at his um, sort of style from Dutch football. He used to go over every Sunday, most Sundays, um, people know. Um, and then the second half, what happened was Roy Aitken had pulled uh, Kevin Gallagher down. Uh, he was a whippet, Patsy Gallagher's grandson. And um, a couple of minutes later, a ball got played through by Eamon Bannon, I think it was. And Roy Aitken was chasing Kevin Gallagher, matching him, but knew he couldn't touch him or he'd be off the park. And that allowed Gallagher to get that inch to score the goal when you were kind of like, whoa. And I remember... The game was kind of sliding away for us a wee bit. And I remember Dun United sending the subs out, which I believe was John Clark and Ian Ferguson. And all they were doing was geeing up their crowd um, in the Rangers end that day, you know, and you're thinking, this isn't going to be it, like, you know. But of course, it's Celtic, it's a centenary year, and as Billy McNeil always said, there was a fairy tale element to this club. Uh, Anton Rogan done the wee swivel, crossed in, McAvenny heated it in. About 15 minutes to go, and you just knew. You just knew. Like 85, Gears won, and we will swamp you. And after that, it was wave upon wave. Uh, five minutes to go, Bob breaks the McAvenny in the box, slams it in. And you can actually see in his celebration, he can actually can't believe what he's done. And the addendum to that, add-on, addendum, whatever you want, was that a lot of the Celtic team, the single lads, I would say, were having a six-week holiday after that, which would have been cancelled had the game went to a replay. So apparently McAvenny was just shouting at all the players, I've saved the holiday, I've saved the holiday. Um, And we won it, and we had done it again. Cameras went in the dressing room after it. Frank McAvenny talked about his sex appeal for some reason. Um, and of course, unfortunately, the only thing that spoiled that day was who was presenting the cup, which was, of course, Margaret Bastard Thatcher. And the Celtic fans, you know, being always being politically aware, had a say, show the red card to Thatcher. Um, and when she appeared initially, that's what happened there. Eh? Because the, the the as well as being hated for a million things, she was also implementing the poll tax in Scotland a year before she was in England as a kind of test, you know, as if we meant we were second class citizens, which to her we were. Um, 
So that was the um, the blow on the landscape. But by the time we'd won and Hamden and the sun and you know nobody cared and um, we went back. I just said before I'd been to the Celtic store the night before in the pavilion, him up again early in the morning, and it was just golden, golden days. Back to Chapel Hall, uh, the tap shop, and um, yeah, just celebrating and, and stuff. And got back in my house about 11 o'clock at night. You know, bearing in mind, I'm only just before 14 at this time. And that was the first time on the news that I was aware that Wimbledon had beat Liverpool in the FA Cup final. And, you know, there was less technology about and, you know, maybe really has got to take a radio to a cup final to listen to other games or whatever. But you were also so immersed in the centenary year and the cup final and that, that that's all that mattered. It was a bit like New Year's Day where, you know, you kind of lose track of days and time and, you know, because you've been sozzled for so long and so on like that. But that's what Celtic meant to us. And... Uh, I remember coming back on the bus and, of course, late nights and stuff like that, and there was a guy in a white van with a red-handed Ulster tattoo on his arm and he was kind of sneering at us and all that. Hey, we were all giving it Yahoo! And I remember a guy, Davey Miller, shouted out the window to him, loads of money, no fucking trophies though, eh? And the guys feet the whole bus are updated and everybody's gone mental, eh? It was just, it was just magical and... Funnily enough, the Celtic view in the following Wednesday, that's what it had uh, on its centre pages, just magic, because that's what the centenary season was. Quite a scottishing ending. 
and receives a cut from the Prime Minister. watching a scene of which he is extremely familiar. Yeah. 